Michigan State gets a big win and hands Michigan their first loss of the season. Iowa and Penn State continue to freefall, and the first college football rankings are released tomorrow. What we should expect to see from the playoff committee. We'll discuss it all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And the personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, I'm Jay Smith. Lots to talk about on this episode of AFR Week 9 in the books. We've only got one more month to go. Uh, The college football playoff rankings, the first rankings are released Tuesday. That is tomorrow. And there is a lot of excitement building for the college football playoff. Uh, Listen, we we know Georgia is going to come in number one. That's pretty much been uh, a consistent theme throughout the season. It's really just going to be about where those undefeated teams rank, right? You know, the, the Cincinnati's, the Oklahoma's, the Michigan State's. You know, where will those teams be? And you can't forget Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest is down there. Uh, first top 10 ranking for Wake Forest in school history, actually. Uh, and we'll get to all that a little bit later in the show. Let's start off with a big story out of last week, which obviously is Michigan State taking down the Michigan Wolverines handing Michigan and Jim Harbaugh their first loss of the season. This game lived up to the hype. I talked about on last week's show, I predicted Michigan State would win. I felt like they were the more balanced team. However, you know, watching this game on Saturday, Michigan came out and looked pretty strong. I mean, you 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 know, you it's really a tale of, of two halves, honestly, when you look at this game and and how Michigan sort of collapsed, especially in the fourth quarter, right? Michigan, you know, was outscored like 15 to 3 in that fourth quarter. And, you know, they, they were playing a little bit of a dual quarterback system all day. And I don't necessarily think that that, that was the wrong decision, but it, it, you know, at the same time, there's not been many uh, games where I've seen that uh, be as effective as sticking with a guy consistently. Um, for for an entire 60 minutes. But yeah, I mean, again, for the Wolverines, they came out strong. Uh, they looked impressive on offense. They were able to move the ball, uh, right? You look at the, the drive they had to, to start the game, going the length of the field, 98 yards and just three plays. Now, that was a big chunk play, right? I mean, you had the 93-yard touchdown pass uh, that Andre Anthony, uh, you know, caught from, from McNara, the quarterback, but Michigan still was firing on all cylinders on offense and defense. And Michigan State looked a little slow. They looked a little sleepy. Uh, Some mistakes throughout the game. This was a very back-and-forth game. Again, sort of a tale of two halves because, you you know, looking at this game and and how things were shaping up going into the half, at one point, Michigan was up by 16. They were up by 16. I saw some statistic uh, that Michigan is now – 89 and 2 overall since 24. Uh, let me read this statistic here. Wolverines are now 89 and 2 since 2004 in games in which they led by 16 or more at any time in the second half. So, again, you know, behind the arm of Cade McNamara, they were moving the ball pretty well. Right? He threw for almost 400 yards two touchdowns, and then they decided to make that change where they brought in freshman quarterback J.J. McCarthy late in that fourth quarter with the three-point lead, and then he fumbles and loses the ball to the Spartans. And obviously, Michigan State scores on the ensuing drive, and even though Michigan was able to get the ball back with less than two minutes in the game, that interception ultimately sealed the win for Michigan State. Big picture here before we kind of get into some of the nitty-gritty details. Jim Harbaugh, he's now 3-4 and four against Michigan State. Uh, you look at the fact that Mel Tucker, the head coach for the Spartans, he is the first 
Michigan State head coach to start 2-0 against the Wolverines. Now, there's a lot of speculation with him possibly taking a job either at LSU or, or you know any other school at this point because there will certainly be some vacancies that will be attractive offers. And, 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 you know, they'll court him, certainly. He's become one of the hottest coaches in the country. So Mel Tucker will certainly have his pick uh, of interviews if he chooses to do so. Uh, you know, he has said publicly he's focusing on the schedule and the next game up. And, you know, his mentality is our goal is to win every game on the schedule. Doesn't matter if it's home or if it's away. You know, the goal is to win every game on the schedule. And then as far as what success looks like, his definition is that success is reaching our full potential as a football team. So these are great quotes. This is great stuff that I'm seeing from Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker. And he's got the Spartans 8-0 for the first time since 2015, which some of you may remember. 2015 was the last time Michigan State made the college football playoff. It was the inaugural college football playoff. They obviously lost in that semifinal to, to I believe it was Alabama. Uh, but still... Still, Michigan State is looking as sharp as we've seen them in the last half decade. And again, a lot of resiliency, right? Michigan comes out to a 30-14 to 14 lead at one point in this game, and, you know, things just kind of slipped away. It wasn't necessarily um, any, any one thing. There wasn't like a moment to this game where it was like that was the turning point, right? You know, there's some turnovers, some key things there, but, but overall... Michigan just sort of let, you know, things slip in that second half, right? Again, tail of two halves, really, going into the locker room. It's a 23-14 to game in favor of the Wolverines. And then in the second half, Michigan is outscored 23-10 to by Michigan State. So the Spartans kicked it into gear in the second half, especially when they needed to. Their defense also stepped up. And, you know, you look at some of the stats here and you kind of are left wondering, how did Michigan let this game slip away? Over 550 total yards of offense. They possessed the ball for 35 minutes, 26 first downs. All of these numbers I'm giving you are better than Michigan State's. Michigan State with less than 400 total yards of offense only 21st down, and held the ball for just 25 minutes. So, you know, if you look at the box score, you look at the stat sheet, you go, well, how did the Wolverines manage to let this one get away? Uh, I think some of the, the decisions with regards to bringing in the dual quarterbacks and, and the inconsistency at that position, it didn't, it didn't really help. I didn't see anything out of McCarthy that, uh, you know, Mc, Nara wasn't able to to do like I don't I didn't see a reason for him to uh, to to you know to make that change, but I think for Michigan State the bigger picture here is is this is a big win at home for a Spartans team that now is in control of of their own destiny, you know they're in control of the of the Big Ten uh, West and. If they continue to win, you know, they're going to put themselves in a good position to likely play Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship. That's what you would assume based off of how the Big Ten is, is shaking out right now. But, excuse me, the, the Big Ten East. I apologize, I said the Big Ten West. Michigan State is in the Big Ten East. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan State are the last two undefeated teams in conference play. Uh, inside of the Big Ten, obviously both are in the East, and it sets up a huge matchup between Michigan State and Ohio State later this season, right? Again, that November 20th game at the Horseshoe, we talked about it a little bit on last week's show and what that what those games towards the end of the season would mean in terms of deciding the Big Ten East. And certainly, you got to think at this point, Whoever wins the Big Ten East is more than likely going to take home that Big Ten championship and a college football playoff berth. Ohio State 
while undefeated in conference play, they have that blemish at home to Oregon, a game that they didn't look good in. And Ohio State has not looked good these last few weeks. They didn't look good against Penn State. Their offense has had some issues. Uh, I wasn't really impressed watching what I could of the Ohio State-Penn State game. They, they still have uh, some, some issues on the offensive side of the ball. And if Michigan State is able to take care of business against Purdue on the road this weekend and Maryland, they're going to be going into the horseshoe at, you know, 10 and 0, right? And even if even if they were uh, to drop that game to Ohio State, you got to wonder, you know, could Ohio State lose to Michigan, right? Could these teams sort of all trade off with one another? So again, big picture here in terms of the Big 10 battle and how things are shaping out, you know, this this win for Michigan State obviously will help them later on as the season progresses, right? Because I think we're going to see a scenario where Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, they sort of trade losses back and forth. And this win by Michigan State over Michigan while at home, while it was a close game, you know, still will mean something on the resume. And it was really behind the great performance of Kenneth Walker III, right? His five touchdowns against Michigan hit a huge Huge day. Ran for 193 yards, five touchdowns. It was his second game this season with four or more rushing touchdowns. That leads all running backs in the FBS. And he's only the third Michigan State player to score five rushing touchdowns in one game. And he's the only Michigan State player in school history to have five rushing touchdowns against Michigan. So, you know, this guy has been a stud for the Spartans all year long. Coming into this game, Walker was second in the country in total rush yards, and he was already sort of in that Heisman discussion, not one of the you know favorites, the front runners. Obviously, with uh, old Mrs. Matt Corral being injured against Auburn, that may change the Heisman odds slightly, but this performance by Kenneth Walker III is only going to add to his Heisman talk. It's only going to add to his Heisman hype. Now, he's quick to, you know, deflect and say uh, he didn't feel like this game was a Heisman moment, and, you know, it was a great team win. That was some of the stuff he said in his post-game press conference. But, I, I, again, this this game for me is about Michigan State putting together a, in a very impressive second half, not quitting. You know, Michigan State had, at one point in the second half, they had not converted a third down on seven straight tries and then were able to put together three straight third-down conversions, which led to a touchdown by Kenneth Walker. And, you know, they were able to claw their way back into this game. They started out a little slow, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, right? They, the Michigan State wasn't playing cleanest football earlier in the game. You know, Peyton Thorne threw two picks in the first quarter. He only had 117 yards through the air in the first half. So he was definitely struggling, but he stayed calm, he stayed poised, he rallied the team, kept a positive mindset, and was, you know, able to get this comeback started and then able to actually see it through and win the game. So again, very impressive performance by Michigan State overall. This was a great game. This was one of the best games I've seen this season. It was back and forth. At times, you thought Michigan was going to run away with it. Then Michigan State comes roaring back. You know, very impressive play in the second half. This isn't a bad loss for Michigan. There's a few people saying, you know, on Twitter that this is sort of that typical Jim Harbaugh loss. I'm not so sure about that assessment. Uh, Michigan's a good football team. They have a few issues to, to iron out. But I, I don't think you know you can chalk out you can chalk up Michigan and just say oh you know they they were completely overrated and they were nothing like they were hyped up to be I mean no Michigan Michigan played a good game Michigan came out to a big lead I think you know they certainly could have done things differently down the stretch and probably wish they had but overall I'm not too disappointed in the Wolverines they're certainly one of the better one loss teams in the country. They've looked more impressive at times than Oregon and Notre Dame. Uh, you know, even Baylor and Oklahoma State haven't really been as uh, impressive. I mean, the, the best one-loss team in the country right now is obviously Alabama, right? Everybody would say Alabama 
is the best one-loss team. That's why they're the highest-ranked one-loss team. They're above two undefeated teams in Oklahoma and Michigan State right now in the AP poll. Now, we will see. We will see where Alabama fits into the college football playoff puzzle on Tuesday because that's when the first rankings come out. You got to wonder, are those undefeated teams still going to be below Alabama? I, I expect Oklahoma to be. I expect Oklahoma to be under Alabama. I don't think Michigan State will be. That's my guess. I, I don't think Michigan State will be. But we have seen the Bama bias for years now, and it could continue. It could continue. I mean, certainly Alabama you know, has looked good in their wins, except for the loss to Texas A&M. But the fact of the matter is, is they have a loss next to their name, and we were told that that supposedly mattered in the committee's eyes. We'll see how all that shakes out, but big takeaways here for the Michigan-Michigan State game. I, I don't think this is a fatal blow for Michigan. They have a lot to play for the rest of the season, and they can continue to improve. But at the same time, certainly have to be discouraged after giving up a 16-point advantage you know, on the road, had a team on the ropes, looked like they were going to cruise to a you know an 8-0 record and be in, in good position to take over uh, their division of the Big Ten. And that is obviously not what transpired. Michigan State found a way to claw back, and they were ultimately victorious. Uh, well, so we'll keep an eye on the Big Ten. Again, as we've kind of talked about all season, it's the more intriguing conference, I would say, in college football. Uh, certainly has some of the better teams. I mean, you know, you, you look at at how things are are shaped up right now in the rankings, and there were, you know, so many Big Ten teams in the top ten uh, last week, the week before, even this week. So it's it's been a good year for the Big Ten, and, and I think, you know, other than, other than Iowa and Penn State's kind of free fall, which we will discuss in the second segment, I think there has been mostly positive – press for for the Big Ten, especially with Michigan State and Michigan. Nobody expected what we've seen out of both of those schools so far. Even Iowa to a certain degree earlier in the season, right? The Ohio State, the Penn State, that was sort of expected, but the Big Ten has had some nice surprises this season, and there's plenty of other conferences like the ACC and the Pac-12 who would be, they would love that. They would love to just have one team that, that would be decent. So, you know, we'll, we'll stay on top of the Big Ten and, and how everything shakes out. But, again, the games at the end of the season, right? They always backload their schedule. They put these big games at the end of the year. Michigan-Ohio State. Uh, Michigan State's going to play Ohio State. It's, it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks at the end of the regular season inside of the Big Ten. Okay, let's take our first break. We're going to come back and talk about Iowa and Penn State. We're going to keep it in the Big Ten talking about how the Hawkeyes looked pitiful, pitiful in their loss to Wisconsin. And Penn State didn't look much better in their loss to Ohio State. They continue their free fall. We'll discuss it next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review, whether you're listening to AFR as a podcast or you're watching on Facebook. Do appreciate it. As always, let's stick in to the stick it to the Big Ten, right? Still talking about the Big Ten, and we're going from the positive, right? The, the good teams, the teams that are at the top, the teams that are in college football playoff discussions, to the teams that have dropped out of those discussions with some uh, bad performances recently. Let's start with the Iowa Hawkeyes. The Iowa Hawkeyes, I think, were on a lot of people's radars as a potential playoff team. I had the Iowa Hawkeyes as one of the better teams in the country. They were playing like a playoff team earlier this year. Had some impressive performances against Indiana on the road at Iowa State. Obviously beating Penn State in a fantastic game a couple weeks ago. And then the wheels just have fallen off the Hawkeyes wagon. I mean, seven points in each of their last two games. Almost looks as bad as, as Clemson's offense, if I'm being honest. I mean, I've, I've, I watched a good bit of the Iowa-Wisconsin game just to see, because, you know, I, I didn't really pay much attention to Iowa and Purdue because I was thinking, okay, 
They'll get through this no problem. They've played teams like this all year. They beat Maryland a little bit earlier, 51-14. to 14. It should be an issue for the Hawkeyes. And so I didn't have as, as many insights from that, that game, but I watched this Iowa-Wisconsin game. And what I really took away from this 27-7 beatdown in Camp Randall is that, you know, Iowa, if, if they're able to, you know, come out early and get momentum early, especially on offense, then things sort of flow the rest of the game. It's almost like for the Hawkeyes, if they're not able, if they start the game with, you know, a punt or a turnover, and that, just talk about turnovers, Iowa had three, three in this game. Three in this game. And Wisconsin, with you know, had not, and, and again, we talked about this almost every week. You can turn the ball over once and you usually get away with it. You can turn the ball over twice and you're kind of on the line. Once you turn the ball over three times, you are at a significant disadvantage. But again, listen to these numbers. No, no team with these numbers is going to win a football game. Three turnovers, nine first downs, 156 total yards, and 24 minutes of possession. That's terrible. I mean, now, granted, Wisconsin didn't look all that much better. Only 16 first downs, 270 yards of total offense. This was not a pretty football game. But Iowa, you know, before these last couple of weeks, they had been able to exert their will defensively. And that's another thing. Iowa's offense was benefiting from having more opportunities, more possessions, more reps, more time on the field because their defense, were sh- they were shutting everybody else down. You're not seeing that these past couple of weeks, right? You, you know, you let up, you know, you allow 27 to Wisconsin. You allow 24 to Purdue. So even though Iowa, you know, this year has been averaging 25 points per game, that's, I mean, now the last two games, they've been allowing just as many. So it puts them in a tough situation. And, and even when you look at the game against Northwestern, Next weekend, I'm not so sure I would be confident if you're a Hawkeye fan. You know, Northwestern right now, they're at, they have more total yards per game than Iowa. Iowa's offense these last two weeks has just been terrible. Just terrible. And, you know, Spencer Petrus has, has not played his best, but you can't put all the blame on him individually. Iowa as a team right now, they're in a funk. They have no energy, and any chance or hope they had of salvaging the season, because that's the weird thing, right? Like, okay, you, you go out and you play all these games this you know this year, and you're you're winning, and then you lose a game unexpectedly to Purdue. You can still salvage the season. You can still win your conference championship. You can still potentially get into the playoff. It's not quite as easy, but it can be done. We've seen it done. There's a blueprint for that. Instead, though, they still came out flat against Wisconsin. It wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't as ugly as Penn State-Illinois from last week, but it was pretty close. It was very, very hard to watch this game between Iowa and Wisconsin. But you got to credit Wisconsin, right? They, They executed... It wasn't always the prettiest, but they found a way to get it done, and the Badgers held Iowa you know, from scoring until halfway through the third quarter. So the Hawkeyes played almost 40 minutes of football before they finally punched it in. At that point, it was 20 to nothing. So Wisconsin, knowing that Iowa's offense was having so many issues, all they had to do was bleed clock. That's exactly what they did. They did score once more, but, you know, and that was early in the fourth quarter. But at that point, the game was over. It was 27-7, to and Iowa had shown no life, no ability to move the ball. Again, 156 total yards uh, of offense. It's not going to win you many football games. It's not going to win you many football games at all. Switching to Penn State, the Nittany Lions played better and showed more effort 
against Ohio State than Iowa did against Wisconsin, but they've still now dropped three straight. Now, the first two are tough, right? The Iowa game on the road by three, that was a big matchup at the time. Certainly the biggest Big Ten game of the season. It may it may not end up being the case because Michigan State and Ohio State could clash a little bit later. Well, they will clash later on the season, but if they're both going into that game without an additional loss, it will be huge, right? You'll have an undefeated Michigan State and a one-loss Ohio State. But Penn State drops the game at Iowa 23-20. to They turn around the week after, sort of a hangover game, sleeping at home against Illinois, the nine-overtime madness that we saw last week. And they lose that 20-18. to Clifford doesn't play well. Penn State is flat. And all of a sudden, the Nittany Lions are 5-2, and two, and they're staring down a trip to the horseshoe against Ohio State, a team that has looked vulnerable this season but is still a consistent contender inside the Big Ten. Now, Penn State played well in this game. You know, James Franklin is getting a lot of flack for letting his team drop three straight. I don't chalk this up on James Franklin's shoulders. A lot of it is on Sean Clifford not playing well against Illinois. They should have beaten the brakes off of Illinois. And they played good football teams. Iowa, at the time at least, and Ohio State are good football teams. They're good football teams, not just in the Big Ten, but nationally. And they were road games, too. It wasn't like these games were at home for Penn State. Listen, the Illinois performance is inexcusable. Their game never should have even gone into overtime, let alone nine overtimes. But the fact of the matter is is sometimes you just you just lose wacky, weird games. The real question is, because this is, you know, you look at their schedule. Penn State still has to play Michigan and Michigan State. If they lose both of those games, that's five losses. They have at Maryland and Rutgers besides those other two. So if they get through that, they'll finish seven and five, which honestly feels like they're kind of escaping considering how the season has turned out for them, right? I mean, you know, they started so strong with wins against Wisconsin on the road, Auburn at home. They shut out Indiana. They look like a solid top 15, maybe top 10 football team. And now, somehow, they're still ranked. They're 22nd right now at 5-3. I'd be surprised if they were ranked inside the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings tomorrow. Because, again, right now, they're the only three-loss team in the AP poll top 25. For Penn State, though, this is really about preventing sort of the extreme drop-off we saw last season where they started 0-5. And And that's going to be something that that James Franklin needs to quell and fix now because he's in the the mix for a lot of big head coaching positions. He's going to keep denying that he isn't in the running for those jobs at USC and other places until he accepts them and goes, hey, guys, I'm leaving. But I think right now, if you're James Franklin, you need to figure out how to win this game at Maryland on November 6th or people are going to begin to question, okay, if we bring this guy on board, or, you know, is our team going to drop three, four, five games before he can get things turned around? I mean, that, that's, that's, not, that's not something you want to be known for. It's not uh, something you want to carry with you. And at the same time, the, the fan base, the boosters, and the administration at Penn State, they, they're not going to have infinite amount, infinite amount of patience for, for stuff like this. So, James Franklin certainly wants to get things turned around at Maryland uh, this this coming this coming weekend. Overall, though, I think you know Iowa has looked much worse than Penn State. Penn State, you know, had a couple tough games against Ohio State, against Iowa, um, but the last two weeks Iowa's just looked very very flat. Like Georgia and Clemson, right? Earlier this season, at the time, we thought that Clemson was a good team, and they played Georgia fairly close. The game came down to a pick six. Teams traded field goals, and it came down to that pick six that DJ threw. But still, at the time, Iowa and Penn State, when they played each other, they were playing like good football teams, like top ten football teams, teams that could compete in, you know, college football playoff game, potentially. But these last few weeks have been really, really rough. Really, really rough for both teams. I think Iowa, you know, 
will have probably a tougher time figuring out, like, even though Penn State's dropped three straight, I'm more confident that the Nittany Lions get it turned around against Maryland. Now, do I think Penn State beats Michigan or Michigan State? Probably not. I think Penn State will finish 7-5. and five. Iowa's in trouble. I, Iowa is in, is in trouble. Even though they don't have a ranked team left on the schedule, it's not going to be easy. You know, Illinois has proven to be a scrappy team. Minnesota, right now, is leading the Big Ten West. You know, Northwestern and Nebraska, they're at the bottom uh, of the Big Ten. You'd think that Iowa could get things figured out, but Nebraska, you know, they they played, um, they played, you know, several teams close this season. So the Cornhuskers can't be written off either. I mean, even a non-conference game for Nebraska against Oklahoma was a one-possession game. They played Michigan State on the road to three points, Michigan at home to three points. Like, that was the one I was thinking of. I was like, I remember Nebraska playing a team really close. So, I mean, they played Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Michigan all within one possession. That would be a hell of a resume if Nebraska had won those three games. That would be a crazy resume. But then they also lost to Illinois and Purdue and Minnesota. So it's it's Nebraska's all over the place. It's all over the place. Just kind of depends on which Cornhusker team shows up that week. But I think I think Penn State's problems are going to be easier to fix than Iowa's. Because Penn State, you can point to Sean Clifford and say, you know, he's got to play better, or we've got to put him in a position to succeed. Iowa, the whole offense just looks terrible now. They just look awful. They can't do anything. Nine first downs? Nine. You're making Clemson jealous. <laughs> I mean, you're or you're taking some of the some of the heat toward directed towards Clemson away. Clemson finally uh, scored more than 20 points against an FBS opponent this weekend or this season, I should say. They did it this weekend against Florida State. Actually, hilariously, they covered the spread for the first time this season with that little scoop and score off the uh, fumbled lateral, if that's what you want to call it, as time expired. They were nine-and-a-half-point favorites. They won by ten. So first time Clemson had managed to do that all season long. Uh, still not a very good football team, and I don't, I don't think there's anything that I'll see from Clemson the rest of the season that's going to convince me otherwise. Uh, I, this is certainly a developmental year for them, and they're going to have a lot to work on in the offseason if they want to get back to form and actually compete for a conference championship next year. But, yeah, big picture here for Iowa. Penn State's not pretty, and it's it could continue to get worse unless they're able to turn around. Man, college football is wild. I mean, these are two schools that a month ago we were talking about possibly being playoff locks and looking super strong and, you know, who could, you know, could they go up against Georgia, right? Because that's really been the measuring stick all year is can you go up against Georgia? And now, uh, you know, it's it's been hard to watch for both of those both those teams. So we'll see if they get turned around. We'll see how things go. But right now, the Big Ten has come down to three teams, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. But I think, I think Sparty would be my pick right now. Uh, I, I think, I you know, Ohio State, still a little inconsistent. On offense, so we'll see how things shape up the rest of the season in the Big Ten. All right, one last break. We're going to come back, talk about what everybody wants to talk about. The first college football playoff rankings, they are going to be released tomorrow. What should we expect from the playoff committee? We'll talk about the unbeaten teams. We'll talk about the one-loss teams and break it all down next. Welcome back to the show. Last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Appreciate you sticking around. It's the best segment of the show. It's the most exciting week, one of the most exciting weeks of the season, right? It's the inaugural college football playoff rankings release. Uh, We we shouldn't see a lot of controversy with that top spot. You got to think Georgia is going to come in. They're going to be the number one team. They've been number one all season. I think they're the best team in the country. They're my pick as national champion. I said that back watching Georgia play Clemson in week one. I was like, this team looks like a national championship caliber football team. 
We've seen Alabama slip up. We've seen Ohio State slip up. We've seen Notre Dame slip up. Clemson, obviously, they didn't rebound from that loss. No one else has played as consistent as Georgia. No one else has been as dominant as Georgia. Georgia's been the best team in the country. They have just consistently dominated everybody week after week after week, right? The most they've allowed all season is 13 points. I mean, they're outscoring opponents by a ridiculous margin. Florida was lucky to score seven against the Bulldogs. So Georgia is a lock for that top spot. Can't can't see anything else there. Where it will get interesting is spots two, three, and four, and where those teams are, or you know what the order is, right? Because as it stands right now in the AP poll, you got Cincinnati at two, Alabama's at three, and then Oklahoma is at four. Michigan State being the first team out at five, and they're undefeated. Now there's a lot, there's a slew of one-loss teams below the Spartans. You gotta go all the way down to Wake Forest, which, hey, can we take a moment and congratulate the Demon Deacons? They are 8-0, and inside the top 10 for the first time in school history. First time in school history. Their previous high was number 11 back in 1947. In fact, here's a little AFR fast fact for you. Wake Forest had been the only team in all the Power Five that had never been ranked in the top 10 in school history before this week. And the Demon Deacons looked extremely impressive on Saturday with that win against Duke. Their offense is... They're lighting up the scoreboard week after week after week. Now, if they go up against a high-caliber defense, you know, it's going to be a different story. If they they played Georgia, it'd be a different story. But the fact of the matter is, is that Wake Forest has been something the rest of the ACC has not been. And that's consistent. Wake Forest has been consistent all year. Their offense has been clicking, and that's a you know that's the reason that they are eight zero, and in the top ten for the first time in school history. I cannot imagine what it's like up there in Winston Salem, as small a school as that is, having never been ranked in the top ten in school history in football. The only Power Five school to have never cracked the top ten. So congrats to Wake Forest on that accomplishment. And, you know, there were some other notable games this this week and some upsets. Obviously, Houston uh, took down SMU, undefeated SMU. It's been a few years since the Cougars were in the top 25, 2018 to be exact. In fact, Houston is the 45th different team to be ranked in the top 25 this season. this, This year has been absolutely crazy. Just bonkers. Uh, Fresno State took down San Diego State. Uh, and they returned to the rankings. So we saw, you know, much lower down into the 20s. We saw some some good games this past weekend, some, some upsets and some things. But going back up to this discussion about the top and what we should see in these inaugural college football playoff rankings, Georgia is number one, right? The Bulldogs will come in at that number one spot. I feel like Cincinnati will be second. I think the Bearcats have been consistent so far this year. Yeah, they they played a few games close, right? Tulane this past week was only a 19-point victory, but Oklahoma only beat Tulane by five. And you might think, well, why does that matter? Well, common opponents will will be looked at by the committee. That is something they have said is you know a, a big factor in evaluating where to position these teams initially, and common opponents is something that they have brought up repeatedly. I expect that to play a factor. And while Cincinnati didn't dominate Tulane, you know, they played them better than Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, you got to think, is fighting uh, for that second or third spot with Cincinnati. I picked the Bearcats, though, for second. I think, you know, it's, it really doesn't matter who's two and who's three. It just matters Who's four, right? Because guess who's got to play Georgia? Fourth. <laughs> so all these teams right now, they just they just don't want to be fourth. No one cares if they're second or they're third. They just, they just don't want to be fourth. Because if you're fourth, then you have to play Georgia and you're going to lose. 
and nobody wants to do that. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the only the only thing I care about in these initial rankings, who is ranked fourth? I believe it's going to be Alabama. I think you're going to see Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Oklahoma at three, and I think Alabama is going to be four. I think that blemish to Texas A&M is going to put them down at four. Oklahoma, I know, is nine and zero. They're undefeated. They haven't looked great. They haven't looked great. But they found a way week after week to get it done, and they've started to look more impressive. This past couple of weeks against Texas Tech and Kansas, even TCU, like things have been a little bit more consistent from the Sooners, but they've had a lot of one-possession games, right? You can rattle them off right now. Tulane is a one, was a one-possession game. Nebraska was a one-possession game. West Virginia was a one-possession game. Kansas State was a one-possession game. Texas was a one-possession game. So the Sooners certainly haven't you know, done a lot to, to differentiate themselves and say, hey, we deserve a, a second ranking or we deserve uh, you know, discussion for that top spot. If, if anything, they've just proven that they found a way to win, which sometimes that's all it takes. If the Sooners can close out their schedule, which is not easy, at Baylor, home against Iowa State, at Oklahoma State. That's two top 15 games to finish out the season. If they can get through that and win the Big 12 championship, they're a lock for the playoff. They're in. Absolutely. But as it stands right now, they're on a little bit more of a shaky footing, but we will have ample opportunity to evaluate the Sooners and their playoff potential through November. It's going to be a fantastic month of November if you care about Big Ten football and you want to see what Oklahoma's made of. You're going to have every game, every week, to, to tune in and watch. So I think you'll see Georgia at one, you'll see Cincy at two, Oklahoma three, Alabama four. That's going to leave Michigan State as the first team out at five. That's going to put the Spartans on the outside looking in. And I know some people will say, why would Michigan State be below Alabama? If they're undefeated, I think part of it is Michigan State still sort of new to this party, right? They're not Alabama. They have made the college football playoff in 2015, the inaugural year. They got destroyed, but they made it. In fact, I don't, I don't think they scored a point. If I remember correctly, Alabama beat Michigan State in that playoff semifinal game, 31 to nothing. If, if I'm remembering that score correctly, I, I, I think that's what. It ended up being. Uh, it was in the the Cotton Bowl, and trying to pull up that score. No, it was thirty-eight to nothing. Excuse me. It was thirty-eight to nothing. I, I remember Michigan State didn't score, but yeah, the Spartans got absolutely hosed on national television in the College Football Playoff semifinal against Alabama. So that. Not that that has any effect on where these rankings will be on Tuesday, but but again, Michigan State has to sort of prove themselves slightly more than Alabama, who obviously the defending national champions, consistent every year, certainly a top four caliber football team. You, you know, again, the thing about Alabama is once they lose a game, it's like they they become galvanized into never losing another one the rest of the season. It's almost like it makes them play. Better. Some teams make them play worse. Hello, Penn State. Hello, Iowa. Hello, Clemson. Although Clemson was probably just terrible from the beginning, we just didn't realize it. But Alabama is a different story. They're a different breed. And I think the Tide right now would beat Michigan State if they played on a neutral field. Even though Michigan State has looked impressive. Even though Michigan State has come a long way. Even though I, I'm excited to see the Spartans be competitive again, I think they're going to be the first team on the outside looking in. And then you have Ohio State and Oregon. And you also have to consider Oregon's loss to Stanford, right? That's not a good look for the Ducks. We talked about this weeks ago. If Oregon could just get through their schedule, they would be in a great position to not only win the Pac-12, but also get a nice spot in the college football playoff, right? Sort of be a lock as a conference champion, undefeated, great non-conference wins. And I still think, if you were to ask me today, 
what's the best non-conference win of the year? It's Oregon. It's Oregon beating Ohio State on the road, leading the entire game, playing a full 60 minutes of football better than Ohio State. Not the last five, not the first 30, a full 60 minutes better than the Buckeyes at the horseshoe. It's the most impressive non-conference win of the year. You can't convince me otherwise. You can't convince me otherwise. But still, the Ducks haven't done themselves any favors these last few weeks. They are 7-0. and uh, Where those two are ranked to me is, is not as important. Uh, I, think, I think Oregon will be above Ohio State, so let's put the Ducks at 6. Ohio State then would be at 7. I think you'd see Notre Dame at 8. They looked, uh, they looked pretty good against their win against North Carolina this past weekend. Michigan probably would stay at, I think, at 9. That's where they are in the AP poll. I, I think that's a good spot for them. And then it kind of becomes interesting. Do you put 7-1 and one, Oklahoma State at 10? Do you put Wake Forest, who's 8-0? Oh? You're not going to put Auburn or Texas A&M, two lost teams, uh, and Baylor is too far uh, down, I think, it, it, you know, in the polls. Um so is Wake Forest, a top 10 team in the inaugural college football playoff rankings. It's plausible. Uh, it's plausible, but I, I, I think Oklahoma State will probably get that nod. I think Wake Forest will be just out of the top 10. They'll be sitting at 11. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really, the intrigue here is who is four? Because four will have to play Georgia, and four is not the number you want to be. I think, I think there will be teams that will be happier sitting in that first out, first two out, right, fifth and sixth, even though they will have some work to do, just knowing that there will be a lot of pressure on that team in second, third, or fourth to you know, pad the resume, do whatever they need to do to win their game uh, so that they can avoid playing the Bulldogs. Right now the fight is going to be for second, and for third. One is a lock. I don't see Georgia losing the rest of the year. It'll be chaos if they do, but I just I just don't think that'll happen. The Bulldogs will enter the playoff undefeated. And as things stand now, if Cincinnati and Oklahoma finish undefeated, I think they'd be higher than than any other team in the country. And and the other thing is we're not even really talking about this. Alabama is going to have to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think Georgia beats Alabama. So Alabama with two losses, they're out of the playoff. Alabama's only way to getting in the playoff, this is this is what kind of, you know, it, it, we're, we're not looking at the full picture when we just look at these rankings for this coming week, right? Because we're not taking into account the fact that Alabama's only way to get into the playoff is to win the SEC championship game. If they don't win the SEC championship game, they're not getting in the playoff. They're a two-loss team. They're a two-loss team. They lost to Texas A&M and Georgia. They're not making the playoff. You have other teams that will fill that void. Georgia, Cincinnati, let's say Oklahoma, and then you're probably going to put the Big Ten champ in there. Either an undefeated Michigan State or maybe a one-loss Michigan State. Or a one-loss Ohio State. Now, if things get really crazy and somehow the Big Ten champion has two losses, which I don't know if that's mathematically possible, right? Because Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan are all in the same division. So Michigan State would have to lose twice. Ohio State would have to lose once more but beat Michigan State to hold the tiebreaker. Then they'd have to win the Big Ten Championship. It would be a lot. There would be a lot of of craziness in the Big Ten for that to transpire. But I think right now your playoff four will be your SEC champion, Georgia. Probably the American champion in Cincinnati. The Big 12 champion in Oklahoma. And then the Big Ten champion, whether that's Michigan State or Ohio State, is yet to be determined. But as we talked about a month and a half ago at this point, yes, the ACC and the Pac-12 will be left out of the college football playoff. I mean, Oregon right now is sitting at 7. 
they certainly have a better chance of making the playoff over the ACC, who has Wake Forest. That's their last hope. Maybe the Demon Deacons will make the playoffs. No, they will not. No, they will not. But there's really no one else for the ACC. I mean, Wake Forest is the only ACC team that's ranked. Pitt and NC State dropped out of the polls. This is as bad as the ACC has ever been in my lifetime. I I don't know if I've ever seen the ACC this much worse than every other conference. It's not like two conferences are having bad years. There's a couple conferences that are having bad years. The ACC is just terrible. Capital T, terrible. They all suck. Pins, you know, Pitts, they're, they're bad. NC State, they're bad. Um, Wake Forest has, has been the consistent team, which is crazy that I just said that, but Wake Forest has been the consistent team out of the ACC. Clemson has been um, bad every single week. They have not gotten any better, and there's just been no life in that conference all season long. So the ACC's out. You gotta think the Pac-12's out, and this will be the year that that a group of five, an undefeated group of five team, will be able to sneak their way in because Notre Dame has lost, Alabama has has lost, which means you're you're not gonna see two SEC teams, right? Because that's really the only way that you would get two SEC teams is Alabama and then another SEC team. Uh, if Alabama has two losses and they're out, it's not, it's not going to happen. So that's how things will likely shake shape up and what I'm expecting to see. Could be wrong. Could throw all of us a, a complete curveball and it might be something totally different. But I'm expecting the top four to be Georgia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Alabama. But we'll have to see how things look for the actual official college football playoff rankings, which again are slated to be released tomorrow. So we'll keep an eye on that. Be sure to tune in to AFR later this week. We'll have a preview show for week 10. Lots to talk about. This is actually the 150th episode of After Further Review. It's our, what is that, sesquicentennial episode. How about that? 150 episodes of AFR. What a ride. But yeah, no, we're going to have another one coming your way later this week. We'll be previewing week 10 and have a little bit of reaction to the first release of the college football playoff rankings. So be sure to tune in there if you uh, if you enjoy listening to AFR as a podcast or watching on Facebook. However you do tune in, it is always appreciated. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how things shape up. You know, again... The, this is, this is when it gets exciting, right? We're in November. There's only a few weeks left, and the college football playoff rankings are finally about to be released. I am excited. Can't wait. The real intrigue is going to be who is, you know, what that pecking order is, two, three, four, five, six. Beyond that, it really doesn't matter. Uh, been a crazy year of college football. We said it earlier in the show, right? Like 45 teams have been ranked in the top 25. And some teams we thought were going to be really good have turned out to be really terrible. So that proves how much I know and most everybody else is, you know, in the same boat. It's just crazy how college football uh, throws you curveballs each and every year. Appreciate you tuning in, though. That's all the time we've got for this episode of After Further Review. Again, be on the lookout for that preview episode of Week 10 later this week. Until then, have a good one. And thanks for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.